Uh, well, we are back into Ecclesiastes, in the, into chapter 5, and we're really going to be focusing on the first sort of seven verses there of what, what Claire read. And um, now, I, you, some of you know me quite well. No, I love a good comedy sketch. I love a good bit of a, a chuckle. And so I came across a nice one the other, other day called Wrong Worship, where a praise, but really very good praise band were singing... Uh, some of the songs we sing in church, in fact, one of the ones we sang a moment ago, uh, but maybe in the words reflecting sometimes what we think about when we're singing them, not actually the words in the song. So I'm not going to uh, sing them for you, don't panic, um, but I will, I will tell you the, uh, the words. And if you've been in church for a while, you'll recognise some of these. If not, hopefully the words, you'll get the, the idea of what's going on. So, so for example, inst- instead of, uh, I will sing of your love forever, you remember that one? Uh, they sing, I will sing of your love on Sundays, reflecting the fact that sometimes we just want to worship on Sundays and not the rest of the time. Uh, we just sang a moment ago uh, the song Mighty to Save. We sang, a, a Saviour, he can move a mountain. Instead of that, they sing, a Saviour, I don't need a Saviour. My God, it's mighty safe. Uh, or how about, instead of I surrender all, I surrender some. Uh, just reflecting the fact that we don't always want to give everything to God in the way that we, we do. Or perhaps uh, I stand amazed at my hairdo, instead of I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Well, uh, we are looking at how we relate to God today and how we worship God today. Last week we were thinking about how we relate to each other. Uh, thinking about how the fact that too often we will uh, love ourselves more than we love other people. You may remember that Jesus reminded his followers to love our neighbours. This time, to, this week, we're thinking about the other command that goes with it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And we're thinking about that from the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you are taking notes today, and that's always a good thing, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at this in three sections. The first one we've called Self-Love Part 2. You may remember that Self-Love Part 1 was last week. Check out last week's sermon on the website if you want to hear about Self-Love Part 1. Then we're going to look at Standing in Awe and then Responding to the Word. So Self-Love Part 2, Standing in Awe and then Responding to the Word. So first of all, self-love, part two. Uh, Just a reminder, in Ecclesiastes here, we're looking at a book of uh, wisdom literature in the Old Testament. So it was written several hundred years before before Jesus was born. And it's written from the point of view of someone who's achieved success or or they're they're imagining that they'd achieved great success. And uh, they're putting themselves in that position and saying, yeah, I've done that, but it's not satisfying it doesn't satisfy me at all and that all the things that we struggle to achieve are a vapor are smoke something we can see we can see the effect of it but when we grasp it it's gone the writer calls it meaningless in other bibles might translate it as vanity our contentment under the sun that is in the world in the world where we're ignoring Jesus is meaningless. Although I think we have seen that we can achieve contentment. 
in a world where God rules rather than we rule. And so chapter 5 starts off uh, continuing this theme now and looking at how we relate to God. And it says, you can see there, verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. So at this time, at the time of writing, the Jewish people would go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship and this is a big building. I mean, it's a whacking big building, high, wide, broad, very impressive architecture. And so when you, you go there, when, you, when they were going there, yeah, there was this sense, of, just the building itself would have this great sense of, wow, when you were going there. Um, probably quite similar to uh, the sense perhaps you'll get when you go into one of the medieval cathedrals in this country perhaps you've been to york or to one of the others it's big it's high and you do get a sense of whoa that's that's incredible you know you everyone goes a bit quiet Shh, you know great place well jesus made it clear after his resurrection that that he would dwell with his followers uh, through the presence of the holy spirit the bible makes it clear wherever his people gather that god's spirit would be with them so as christians for us here today we don't have to go to a, a special building with big stained glass and and marvelous uh, big spaces and all that kind of thing what we have to do is gather with his people as we've done today to worship god and, and so here we are worshiping god and when we come to worship god what does it say verse one we're to guard our guard our steps Oh, what does that mean? Guard our steps. Well, the, the sense is that we need to be aware that we're taking part in something spiritually significant. That we need to go with the right kind of attitude. Uh, too often, to be honest with you, I think I come to church with, with what we might call bad attitude. An attitude focused on me, not on God. An attitude of self-love. Maybe not deliberately slow, deliberately so, but, but it results in, in the same truth. That in the end, it, it's all about me. I feel like a little robot going off the back. What about me? What about me? What about me? Um, there are a few different varieties uh, for reasons why I can feel that way. Let's briefly look at a few. Um, it talks about there uh, that we need to come to listen rather than offering a sacrifice of fools. Uh, so a sacrifice of fools, sacrifice of this sense would have been worship, seems to involve not listening. In worship, we listen to the songs that we sing to each other and to God. We listen to uh, the scripture being read, just as Claire did a moment ago. And we listen to the teaching of the Bible, as is going on right now. Uh, one pastor very helpfully says that when we're listening to sermons, we should be listening for the, the meaning of a passage of Scripture and accepting that meaning as the main idea to be grasped for our personal and corporate lives as Christians. Let me read that again. We should be listening for the meaning of a passage of Scripture and accepting that meaning as the main idea to be grasped for our personal and corporate lives as Christians. He goes on to say that listening should cultivate a hunger for the Bible, should help us to focus and follow God's will, that it helps to protect the gospel. 
helps to protect our lives from sin. If I'm tired, I don't know that I do that, to be honest with you. If I have cold, I don't know that I do that, to be honest with you. Um, uh, and yet, we're told to, the command there is to go near to listen. Uh, we can also see from the passage in Ecclesiastes that we can come to worship while experiencing uh, dreams of, from many cares. Uh, I think that you could describe that as daydreaming, uh, having the f- focus of our thoughts somewhere else rather than on God. Uh, our heads are stuck in our own small world. We, we're remembering, oh man, what's, I'm worried about our Charlotte. Uh, must feed the cat when we get home. Uh, really worried about what's going to happen in work tomorrow. Really worried about what happened in school on Friday. God knows this. God knows our hearts. He knows our burdens. But he wants us to come and worship him with all of our minds, with with all of our, our hearts, not half the hearts and the rest of it worrying about the cat or the dog, other animals are available. Um, he wants us to to devote our time to, to him, our thoughts to him, not to to daydreaming, to, to dreams of, from these cares. Can you imagine if you go out on a first date with someone and when you're there, all you're thinking about is the worries and concerns in your life. You're staring off into the distance and perhaps you're, or perhaps you're checking the sports scores on your phone or looking at your tablet and instead of gazing into the eyes of your, of your latest crush, uh, you are unlikely to have a second date at that point, Okay. God feels the same way about our relationship with him. He, he wants us to stop dreaming and listen to what's happening. Listen to how he's talking to us. We can also see in this passage, I think, that, that self-love involves making vows to the Lord. You can see that there in verse 4 and uh, verse 5 and verse 6. Um, and I want to suggest to you that, that the problem here is that, is that we're doing this perhaps as part of our worship even, uh, because we feel we need to respond in some way and we don't quite know how to respond. Uh, and maybe uh, we've been conscious, we haven't really been focusing too much uh, and maybe we're worried about what, will, what our response will be and we feel we have to do something. So we say, we say okay, uh, next week, God, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray at least once. Or, or, Father, as soon as I stop being so busy, I'm going to spend some really good time in the Bible. Or, of course, we love to bargain with God sometimes, don't we? Jesus, if you do this for me, then I'll be committed to you. Oh, I've done that, I know. Um, uh, some of you may know the preacher Crawford Loritz. He talks about how he'd just been dumped by his girlfriend. And so he made a vow. He says, okay, God, it was in college at the time. He says, okay, God, right now it's just me and you. I'm just going to be so committed to you. I'm just going to be in my studies all the time, studying all day long, just study and sleep. That's all I'm doing. It's me and you, God. And he says he walked into the students' union and he saw a pair of legs walking down the stairs in front of him. 
that was it. That was the woman he married, by the way, and he's been married to her for about 40 years now. So, um, but, but, you know, we make these vows to God. Friends, God doesn't need our vows. He doesn't need our promises. He knows our hearts. If we're vowing to make ourselves sound more sincere or, or account for the fact that we, we don't always follow through on the last vow, that we've forgotten about it in a day's time, that it's consigned to the back of our mind, that, that is not what God needs from us. God knows our heart. He knows what, how we're responding. He knows who we are. Some of our friends come from a community where it would be very normal if you were, if you were inviting a friend to your house, you would say, would you like to come to my house this evening? And they will say, uh, sure, I, I might come. Okay. Now, they know in that community that that person has just said no and that they understand that that person has just said no. Right, so they understand that the person is saying, no, I'm not going to come to your house this evening because I've got something else on, we don't know. And the person who's invited them understands that they have just said no to them. Is it me? Is it, why not just say, no, I'm sorry, I can't come to your house tonight. What's the problem with that? Why, why do they do that? They're doing that because it, it's making them feel better about in their response. They, they are, uh, they're not responding in a genuine way. Uh, yet even more bizarrely, the person inviting them knows. God knows. God knows when we're not sincere in what we say. He understands that. Like our friends, God knows how it is. He knows what our commitment is. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We should have no need to make a vow. So let's just think about some practical ways to guard our steps, like it's talking about there in verse 1. Some practical steps. First of all is to be here. Uh, you can't guard your steps if you're, not, if, if you're not going there to be there. We gather together as the church in order to worship. You don't have to be uh, together to worship, but it certainly is, is the best way to worship. Uh, and it's very hard, to, as we say there, it's hard to, very hard to listen if you're on your own, because who are you listening to? too when you're on your own in that way we can't always make it for very good reasons but uh, we want to be as far as we can be consistently here uh, we don't want to be putting something else ahead of God in that self-love kind of way uh, when we come we want to be ready to worship plan out your Saturday nights and your Sunday mornings so that as far as possible you're not too tired you're not too worn down with other stuff to be ready to hear the word of God. To worship him without dreaming where, where we're worrying about that other thing that we've, we've got distracted by. Uh, I know when I'm tired, worship is very self-centered. It's all about, wow, I just, I'm just tired. I just need to go home. I'm just tired. Uh, thirdly, think about what strategies will help you to focus on what's being said. I like to take notes on my phone. I'll go through, I can file them then electronically because, you know, I'm a bit like that, a bit like filing things. I'm an accountant, what can I say? It's how I am. Uh, but, yeah, but maybe you want to take notes on the programme. Uh, you know, that's part of what it's there for, to help us remember, remember things, but to help us to focus as well. 
And that's what we put that space there for. And you can file them away nicely at home again if you're an accountant or similarly minded. Uh, or you might take them in some nice, um, some notes in some nice stationery, like a nice bit of stationery, nice, nice notebook, whatever it is. Uh, another way to focus, you might be a sweet eater during the sermon. A good boiled sweet is a great way of uh, keeping focus during a sermon. It's also a great way of uh, measuring the length of a sermon as well, by the way. You know, is this a two-sweet sermon, a one-and-a-half-sweet sermon? Do you have to crunch a bit at the end to finish in time? You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, no chewing gum. Do not do chewing gum. We do not like chewing gum because we have to clear up after you. We do not like this. And uh, do remember as well to take your sweetie wrappers home with you if you do that. Uh, Fourthly, another way to guard our steps is we want to avoid becoming what you might call a mechanical worshipper or, or a professional worshipper. Uh, uh, it's good, I think, to ask ourselves at the end of a service, well, what did I get from that? You know, what did I learn from that? I think that's a good question. But it can become uh, obsessive. It can become a very obsessive question. We can feel like we're holding up a a scorecard like on Strictly, you know, 7 out of 10, for, or for whatever it is, uh, for what we got out of the service. And we start to make it a consumer experience. What about me again? What you, just thinking about what did I get out of it? Again, it's, we, it's a good question to ask because we, we know that we're supposed to be taught and corrected and encouraged in the service, that's okay. But if that's all we ask, the danger is we might come away saying, well, I didn't get anything out of that. I got nothing out of that service. And that may be true, but it still might have been a great day in church. It still might have been a great day in church because the real question is, what did God get out of that service? Or more specifically, for us personally, what did God get from me? in the service did I sing to the Lord did I sing like I meant it did I encourage my brothers and sisters did I listen to the Bible being taught did I get something from that was my was my heart open when I prayed what what score would God be giving me out of 10 for my participation in the in the service I suspect often my, my score is way too low remember God is paying attention to our hearts He's listening to our hearts. Uh, it's one writer describes it as a stethoscope. So you know how a doctor will, a doctor will say, ah, and you say, ah, and looks down your throat. Well, that's, that's you externally. And that's good for some things. But then take a stethoscope and put it maybe on your back or on your front end and get you to breathe. He's listening to your heart. He's listening to your lungs. That's what God's doing. He's listening to our hearts as we worship. What's on our inside god knows us he knows us and he loves us he wants our participation to be sincere not perfect he's not looking for perfect he's just looking for sincere he knows that our minds sometimes drift that's okay he's not unrealistic or, or harsh he doesn't want it to be polished and slick he wants it to be sincere have you ever heard little kids singing really singing a hymn yeah, and you just like, and you know, I just, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Is it the best piece of music you've ever heard? No. But it's, you can tell it is sincere worship. That's what God's looking from us. 
we are, after all, his children. So we don't want to take him for granted, but we do want to be conscious of that responsibility to be a sincere participant in worship. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, King David said. That's what we want to feel. Second point, standing in awe. So how are we going to worship God with sincerity, if not perfection? Uh, look with me there at the end of verse 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Fear God's a very strange phrase, isn't it? There, um, And the Bible often talks about fearing God, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. And there is a sense in which you might be afraid of God. If we understand how we have made God angry through our sin. If we understand our willful disobedience of what he's created us for, then yeah, if there's a knowledge of that, we might very well feel guilt and terror in the face of God. That, is, that would be a good response. That would be a good response if that's all we know of God. But the Bible tells us so much more about God tells us about his holiness his love his perfect knowledge his faithfulness his patience with us his compassion for us his jealousy for us such a such a a response ignores the work of jesus on our behalf on the cross where he died for us when we see the full picture of who god is then our response is, is a reverence, an awe, a fear, as in a, yeah, you've walked into a cathedral and gone, wow. That's, that's, that's the fear there, that sense of awe, fear, awe, reverence. How, how do we know what God is like? How, how can we know that he is worthy of that kind of reverence and awe? It tells us in the Bible, in the Bible, God reveals himself to us. God described, is described in many adjectives and ultimately Jesus, who is perfectly united with God the Father, the Bible tells us he is the image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus read about jesus that will tell us what he is like the better we understand jesus the more time we spend considering who he is and what he's done the more we understand god the father the more we understand both the more we will be inclined towards all filled sincere worship when we're gathered in worship the writer of ecclesiastes wants us to experience because of who God is that he's made us in his own image we've been given that great privilege that somehow in some way we don't quite understand that we share God's image and yet to our great shame we don't live up to that because of our sin because of our rebellion against God we're no longer worthy of holding God's design in our lives and to restore that then, to restore that image in the world, to, to make it anew, to remake that image inside of us and in the world, God has paid a staggering 
price, an incredible cost by sending his son Jesus into the world, his own beloved, divine, perfect, humble, gentle, powerful, loving son as the only the only possible sacrifice for our sin and rebellion to restore us, to restore creation to where it needs to be. Yes, intermittently, yes, inconsistently sometimes, but, but ultimately being completed when we stand face to face before God. As the guy with the perfect stethoscope, God knows me. He knows me right from top to bottom. He knows me better than myself. He knows my sin and he has put that to death because he loves me so intensely, so faithfully with jealous love. And he's put it to death when Jesus, by sending his son, Jesus, to die for me on the cross. And the only possible response that I could have to that is to worship him with awe to stand in awe of this incredible God and that is what will fuel my worship that is what will give me the the motivation to worship God as as imperfect as that is that, that is what will fuel my worship and God in looking in my heart I pray and I trust will know that I love him and I want to worship him so how then should I respond if I'm not supposed to respond with vows um, you can see there how how, uh, you know it would be a mistake to delay to fill it or to uh, not do it at all verse 6 how should I respond by the way, if you, if, you, if you are in that situation, if you have made a, a vow to the Lord, a promise, and you have delayed to fulfill it yet, or you've not fulfilled it, in summary, fulfill it. Don't hesitate. Go and do it. Keep short accounts with God. Or if you realize that that was foolish, or if you realize that, that it's just impossible, then, then maybe you need to seek his forgiveness and repent of that. Because vows, vows made to anybody should be fulfilled. But to God, you, you must fulfill these things. If not, you may, you may need to just repent of that and seek his forgiveness. So how should we respond? Well, how do you respond when you love somebody? What do you do when you love somebody? Well, it's a parent, a child, whoever it is. What do you do? You want to be with them. Number one, you want to be with them, as we looked at earlier, because the Holy Spirit now is, inhabits his people, that is other Christians. We want to hang out with other Christians. It also means we look forward to it coming back. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus. Till he returns or calls me home, it says, doesn't it, in the song. We look forward to him coming back. We want to be with his people because we, we, we love him. We want to be with him. Number two, when we love someone, we want to know more about them. When you love someone, you want to find out what their favourite food is, what their favourite colour is, what their favourite sport team is. It's not Sheffield Wednesday. Why did they even bother saying it? I don't know. But, you know, uh, so we want to find out more about God. We want to find out more about who he is. How do we do that? We read his word. We... we uh, 
we hear about him we want to th- we want to read books about him we want to hunger and a thirst to know more what's he like what's he really like oh i've seen that i didn't know that about god that's fantastic we want to we want to know what he's like number three when we love someone we want to give them nice things we want to give them gifts don't we i think and when i give denise flowers on that rare occasion I think she's not in the room in a minute. Great. Uh, we're on that rare occasion. She doesn't need them. Oh, she. Hi, honey. Um, uh, it's the glasses. Uh, uh, she doesn't need the flowers, but it gives her pleasure. It gives her pleasure to receive them. Because why? Because it shows that I love her. And God does not need our gifts, but it gives him pleasure to receive them. Because it shows that we love him our time our thoughts our money using our resources for his kingdom those things give him pleasure he doesn't need them they're they're getting our hearts into the right place not so much his heart number four when we we uh we want to do things that will please the person who we love. Uh, we want to serve them by doing things that we know will make them happy. Uh, Jesus said, John 14, verse 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If we want to love God, do what he tells us to do. We won't do that perfectly, just as the same way as we won't, won't do that uh, perfectly in this life he's told us to love our neighbors to love our brothers and sisters in christ he told us to to love god so we should do those things five when we love someone we tell other people about have you ever have you ever been with that person and they're newly in love ah, he's so lovely his eyes are really nice he's really nice and you're just like oh really we we tell other people that we love somebody we tell other people around them and so we should be telling them telling other people that we love god and why we love god and how they're so thrilling and so exciting ultimately i guess if we love someone we want to please them so for what we're doing the question is does this please god is what I'm saying in this situation, is what I'm doing in this situation, how I'm spending my time, how I'm spending my resources, how I'm relating to this person, will, will God be pleased with what I do? Not perfectly, because we're not perfectly, not perfect, but are we, yeah, that word again, sincere. Are we sincere in our love for what we do? At the end of our worship together, we go out into the world. Ben was talking earlier how we gather together. We've gathered together today as God's people. In a few minutes, we're going to go out into the world as God's ambassadors, as his hands and his feet, as his laborers in the vineyard. And so as we've been, as we've been fueled in our time together, as we've thought about our worship, as we've sung songs, as we've listened to his words, as we've been challenged, perhaps we, we go and so the response God is looking for is, is what happens when we go? What happens when we go out into the world? What happens when we go next? And so a 
No? And as, as we finish our worship, we should be preparing ourselves. Thinking about how we can love God better this week. How we can love other people better this week. How we can give our gifts. How we can do things that would please him. How we can tell others about him. Our response, our right response to worship is to love God and to love others. So in a couple of minutes I'm going to pray. And then we'll finish as we normally do with a final song and a, a final thought. But before I do, we're just going to be quiet. Just going to be quiet for a minute or two. And I just want you to respond to God quietly. However you feel you should respond to God in your hearts, authentically, sincerely. Be real with God. You don't need to make vows you don't need to be dreaming about something else. God wants to hear your real heart. He wants to know if you're going to follow his son. He wants to know if you love him. And if you're going to care for his people this week. Let's just be quiet and then I'll pray.